Hello, it's the vast majority. I'm Jacobin Managing Editor Micah Utrecht. The Bernie campaign postmortems are coming in at, a, at first a trickle, now a flood. And would you believe it? I think a lot of them are pretty bad. <laughs> they don't uh, really understand what was unique, what was special, what gave the Bernie campaign uh, the kind of force and excitement that it did. Um, I think that has come from a lot of the assessments from liberals, from the right of us uh, socialists. But then there's also this kind of uh, far-left despondency at what has come out of the Bernie campaign. This idea, which we've talked about on this podcast in the past, that the only truly intellectually serious assessment of the Bernie campaign is one in which there is much weeping and gnashing of teeth and an emphasis over and over again on what Bernie and what we did wrong in this campaign. And I don't think that that is fully accurate either. I think that there is a reborn socialist movement in this country that I feel very good about being a major player in American politics in the years to come. And I think the best thing that I have read on what is wrong with both of those assessments of the Bernie campaign, sort of from the right and from the left, is written by Hadastir and Paul Heidemann in Jacobin earlier this week called Bernie's Campaign Strategy Wasn't the Problem. And they wrestle with arguments from both of these sides on what went wrong in the Bernie campaign, why Bernie was unable to win, and they sort of separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of what is an important thing to zero in on and what is not. I mean, there are some tactical things that we can discuss about what Bernie and what his campaign did wrong, and I'm open to having that discussion. They discuss some of those things in the piece, but principally the thing that most doomed the Bernie Sanders campaign was the fact that he was up against an incredibly strong Democratic Party establishment as well as the mainstream media and the movement that he was able to build over the last few years wasn't strong enough to overcome that establishment and we maybe shouldn't be surprised about that uh, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about why we were unable to overcome them, but we should also be pretty sober about the fact that that establishment is extremely strong, and so we probably shouldn't be uh, totally shocked that we weren't able in just a couple years to build a movement that was strong enough to overcome them. Um, and so they talk about that in their piece, uh, as well as some words of encouragement for how we can go about continuing to build that movement so that we can hopefully in the future overcome that establishment. Hadas Thier is Jacobin's circulation manager. She's the author of the forthcoming book, A People's Guide to Capitalism, An Introduction to Marxist Economics. And Paul Heidemann is a regular contributor to Jacobin. He is the editor of the book, Class Struggle and the Color Line, American Socialism and the Race Question, 1900 to 1930. I'll link to both of their books in the episode description. Here's my discussion with Paul and Hadass. Hadass and Paul, hello. Hey, thanks for having us on. Hi. 
So let's just start with the basic argument of the piece. I wanted to have you guys on to talk about this because there's a lot of very bad stuff out there about the end of the Bernie Sanders campaign, as well as just a kind of ambient mood among lots of people. I mean, there are sort of bad arguments, many of which are written by liberals that are written arguments. And then there are sort of like uh bad uh tweets <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a discernible mood uh from folks on the left who are understandably really disappointed by the end and heartbroken by the end of the bernie sanders campaign uh and you guys have the the kind of best uh the best post-game analysis that i've read so far um so let's just start with the overall argument in the piece um paul why did you guys uh write this and what were you responding to and what's your what's your argument well the the end of the campaign is obviously uh bad news for the american left but in in the kind of reactions that we were seeing it seemed that people were misidentifying what the bad news was uh slash uh mislocating where the good news was um, and so we thought it was important to get the, the kind of mix of those things right um, in the face of lots of accounts that, quite frankly, seemed like wishful thinking in one way or another. That, you know, the if Bernie Sanders only would have done what I wanted him to do the entire time, he would have won, you know, uh, those kinds of arguments. And I mean, I, I think for, for us going through the primary was was disillusioning in a certain respect in realizing that the barriers to uh, socialist advance in the United States are probably higher than, uh, certainly than we thought in the week after Nevada. Um, you know, and, and I think um, even at the beginning of the campaign, a lot of us didn't necessarily think Bernie would win, but I think we have a much clearer picture of what the actual obstacles um, uh, the left has to confront in electoral politics going forward. And so we wrote the piece to try and get a, a clear picture of those, um, while at the same time uh, being clear on what the campaign accomplished, um, which in, in the wake of its defeat, we thought there was a risk of losing sight of. So Hadas, can you talk about the specifics of what Paul is talking about there? I mean, what are the uh, what are the wrong ways of talking about the the defeat of the Bernie campaign? And what are some of the things we should keep in mind for what the left has to build on here? All right. Well, the overarching thing um, and the thing that we saw is uniting these, like, on the one hand, takes coming from the left and takes coming from the right, is that this idea that if he had just tweaked his campaign here or there, um, that that would have made um, hit the campaign winnable. Um and, you know, there's legitimate debates to be had, right? That there's important information and data to be mined. Um, there were debates within the campaign that are, are useful. Um, but ultimately, um, they were tactical questions. And um, there are things that could have strengthened the campaign um, and things that we could certainly learn from and do better. But the main takeaway and what we really need to learn from is the strength of the Democratic Party establishment. Um, what we're up against, um, the fact that, you know, Bernie was running a campaign that actively undermined um, the, the corporate interests of the, the American elite and the Democratic Party establishment. Um, so, you know, there was, I'm, I'm one of these people that was totally guilty of having gotten swept away in a tide of optimism 
Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, he's, you know, he could totally win this thing. Um, After Nevada, I was just like, what, what if he just sweeps the entire thing? I yeah. mean, you know, because yeah. that was a case in which he had not only just won the state and won it by a large margin, but had done so uh by overcoming the like uh the, you know struck the bit like overcoming a union leadership that uh was against him and that was a really powerful actor within uh the state of nevada and so and it was like you know really multiracial working class uh, voter turnout for him so i was like he could just he, we could just sweep the entire country and we could we could do this thing and of course that was sort of the peak of my political expectations yeah. during my lifetime, the closest I've ever thought that, oh, we actually could have you know, seized power. But of course, that turned out to be false. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, on the one hand, his campaign was resonating so widely. And that's something that, you know, for many of us as socialists, like, yes, like we always knew that it could. And like, <laughs> you know, he he's speaking to, to people's um, aspirations and class interests and all of these things that really did resonate with very wide layers of people. Um, and, it, and then on the flip side of that, the rest of the field looked abysmal. <laughs> um, and I think that's part of the, the overconfidence, um, at least speaking for myself, um, that I had was I was like, how could, you know, it looks like Biden's going to just like literally fall over. Um, and <laughs> you know, he could really, he could really do this thing. And, and and the thing that I'm, you know, on the one hand, there's the like, I told you so tapes um, of, you know, people who wish that uh, he had run a more Warren-like campaign. Um, and then there's the, the like, you know, you were referring to the, um, in Twitter world and the, the bitterness and the anger and the, um, you know, people are feeling just demoralized. People's... Uh, expectations were running really high. Um, and I think that that is part of why it's really important to actually identify what the, what the obstacles are, um, and, and what we did overcome and, um, what, what is next, you know, rather than, uh, just assuming we did something wrong, Bernie did something wrong, um, the finger pointing and all of that. It, it kind of reminds me of, um, and this is I'm dating myself here, but you know when in the lead up to the uh, war with Iraq, um, that there were all these like massive protests, and people really thought we were mm -hmm. going to stop the war because mm -hmm. millions of people came out on the streets all over the world, and it really underestimated the might of you know our of, of the American ruling class and what they intended on doing, and that they didn't really care about what millions of people think that protests were important they could help to like as organizing tools but they're not in of itself going to stop um the war and then after they didn't the whole anti-war movement basically collapsed and you know that that that's why it's i think so important to try to identify what is actually the obstacle what are we up against what are the um the organizations and institutions and power that we need to build on our end so before we get to that stuff let's talk about uh the the cases that you cite uh sort of from the right as in from liberals uh, about what was uh what went wrong with the the bernie campaign it seems like most of the the sort of written arguments about uh what bernie what people think bernie should have done almost always conclude with some kind of right word 
uh, prescription. Like they think that he should have moved right, whether that means like being nicer to people, uh, mm-hmm. kissing the media's ass more is a really popular one that's come up lately. Like if, if only he had sort of done the insider politician game of like, uh, being nice to journalists. I don't know if you guys remember, there was such a perfect moment when that last debate happened, the one when, when Corona had just uh, kicked off. And after it was over, both uh, Biden and Bernie went to walk over to the moderator's table just to like, you know, to close close up shop for the night. And like Biden walks over and stands there and is like yucking it up with them. And then you, if you watch closely, you see Bernie just... You don't, you can't hear him, but you, you imagine him going, yeah, okay, good, and then he just like walks away, you know, uh, which like to me was such a, such a perfect encapsulation of this disdain that he had for the mainstream media, and so people, especially people who operate within that world, that mainstream media world, think, well, if only he had been nicer to me, and if only he had not shown that clear disdain for me, uh, then maybe me and my friends would have treated him a little bit. Uh, nicer, but that seems absurd. Like the only way that that, that assumes that the mainstream media tr- treated Bernie the way that they did because he wasn't nice, rather than because mm-hmm. he represented a threat to like the interests that they uh, are are propping up. You know, that's one of my favorite moments actually of all the debates that happened was that moment where Bernie just sort of walked by and he's like, "All right, have fun." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "I love that man. I love him." Yeah, but lay out what the the liberal arguments are for what Bernie. Uh, should have, have done and, and what's wrong with them. You know, a number of people made these arguments that you could kind of tell uh, they'd had ready for the moment the campaign uh, <laughs> exactly. folded. You know, they, they had these ready weeks in advance to be like, this is what he should have done. Um, and so, you know, you saw them from kind of various parts of the liberal political spectrum, from some people at Vox and some Warren supporters. Although, you know, what, what business Warren supporters have giving the Bernie campaign advice? <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure. The um, campaign that never took better than third, should we should listen to them about to win yeah but but the, the there's kind of a convergence in those cases in that they argue that look the action in the democratic party is in like the liberal college educated middle class these are the people who are really progressive in the party they're the party's uh really core voters they're the people who are sh- who are uh turning out in primaries if you want to win the primaries that's who you've got to mobilize um and so Bernie should have really leaned into that and really embraced uh, an, uh, an identity as a Democrat. He should have dropped this socialist stuff. Um, he should have really campaigned on kind of resistance politics, right? On the politics of we hate the Republicans, we hate Trump, right? Instead of all of this stuff about how Trump's not the only problem, we need a political revolution. And their argument is basically, look, you have Democrats like um Katie Porter, you know, who supports Medicare for All, who's a resistance hero. You can advocate all the same policies, uh, but how you pitch it really matters to whether you win or not. And so essentially they're proposing a a relative autonomy of campaign style and and political content. Um, And so the the argument then is, you know, Bernie shouldn't have been trying to like reel in these disaffected working class voters with all this talk about inequality and that kind of thing. He should have campaigned as a a resistance Democrat, but uh, had the same policies. And if he had done that, he could have won. Um, And I think... Uh, I'm, I'm skeptical of that on a couple of uh, levels. I mean, first, like like you said, 
I just don't buy that the media would have been nice to a guy running on Medicare for All, Green New Deal, etc. If only he had um, talked up the Mueller report now and kissed Chris Chris Matthews' ass a little bit, you know, um, like that. That I just don't buy that. Um, the The media hostility to Sanders is so ingrained, uh, and, and the media hostility to aggressively redistributionist politics is, is just so ingrained. There would have been considerable media hostility no matter what Sanders did. Uh, that, well, that seems yeah. really clear to me. And not only that, that if he had changed the way he campaigned to make the uh, MSNBC anchors of the world happy, there probably would not have been so much excitement among the people who did support him. Like, people like Bernie Sanders because he doesn't want to kiss the ass of the MSNBC anchors of the world. And so if you, if you, you know, if you just make a one weird tweak, you know, one, one weird trick mm -hmm. uh, to, to move in that direction to make the reporters happy, then all of a sudden there wouldn't be uh, nearly as much of the excitement around his campaign. People like the fact that he took a look at the entire political establishment and said all of this is bullshit and i hate these people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh, it's it may not be surprising that like liberal journalists think it's worth trading a million plus donations from teachers from walmart workers mm -hmm. um you know from, from the working class for a little bit more backslapping from uh the media but uh Bernie's campaign was fundamentally about building that kind of power and a different kind of campaign couldn't have done that. Right. And what, what you guys are talking about there, I mean, he, he's trying to build this, you know, working class coalition, a political coalition, in which the working class was basically the anchor. And he actually mm -hmm. did successfully do that. Um, but that goes against what the Democratic Party has been trying to do for decades mm -hmm. at this point, right? Like the Democratic Party has been trying to put uh, these kind of like, you know, upper middle class, especially socially liberal, uh, professional managerial class, which has been much discussed in the last couple months. They've been trying to make them the kind of uh, anchor coalition of the Democratic Party. And you remember this, obviously, from 2016, uh, you know, all the discussion about like for every uh, working class voter that the Democrats lose, they'll pick up, you know, two suburban moms, you know, two mm -hmm. suburban Philadelphia moms or whatever it was uh, that, that was said. So, uh, you know, that uh, that strategy, I mean, for one, that strategy hasn't borne out, like that hasn't borne electoral fruit for the Democrats either. Like, you know, Hillary Clinton lost in 2016. Like the Democratic Party has been pretty decimated in recent years by that giving up of, of, of the working class. Um, and so, like, why, why would why would Bernie Sanders choose to uh, choose to do that? Especially as we already said, when there was somebody else in this campaign who tried that, Elizabeth Warren, and and failed very badly at it. Yeah, it's kind of astounding that all these takes talk about it as though like if only had somebody had tried this, and <laughs> somebody had tried this, and it did not work. Um, you know, and also I I, I think it's important too that. It's in my in my mind. It's not that Bernie ran a campaign as an outsider, and that was the problem. The fact that he was an outsider was secondary. He wasn't attempting to be. His platform was not. I am an outsider to the Democratic Party. In fact, he tried to make it, you know, mm -hmm. clear that he wasn't or he didn't want to be, etc. But um, all of his policies and all of his base of support and all of um, his positioning against you know, the 1% and who are naming the enemy and who are the industries that are wrecking our planet and wrecking our lives. Like, that's what made him an outsider. 
Um, the Democratic Party has no, the Democratic Party establishment has no interest in that. And so um, he became an outsider because that, you know, from, they pushed him out. You know, that's not, those aren't, aren't um, positions and, and policies that they're willing to um, absorb. So you guys talk a bit, you know, we were getting into the question of the working class as a core part of his electoral coalition, but there's also the question of building working class power through Bernie's campaign beyond electoral politics, which for those of us who are socialist is a really key question for his candidacy, right? Not just the the raw number of votes that he was able to amass, um, and we, we obviously wanted him to amass more of them, uh, but there is also this question of like what the working class uh, does because of the Bernie campaign, because of the raised expectations that Bernie Sanders helped bring about in uh, American politics, especially among the working class, uh, whether or not there are uh, members of the, uh, you know, whether or not workers are doing things like going on strike uh, in part because of the raised expectations that they get from uh, the Bernie campaign. And it seems like that that fundamental point is missing in so many of these uh, assessments of his campaign that like th this is fundamentally what we believe uh, is critical to changing the world. And so any balance sheet on Bernie, you know, a balance sheet that just assesses did Bernie win or lose is incomplete without that assessment of the building of uh, what we would call, you know, sort of independent working class self-activity, right? Like without uh, any assessment of uh, workers' willingness to do things like go on strike. And it seems clear from his campaign that there is more class struggle going on in the world right now because he ran. You know, we can point to a million examples. We can also point to his campaign using the campaign infrastructure to direct people to support strikes that are happening uh, to even he tweeted uh, during the pandemic something like, uh, I support any worker who goes on strike for safety, you know, for safety related reasons during this pandemic. I mean, like this is a way of doing campaigning that we, none of us have ever seen before, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when his campaign was sending people to picket lines, um, I, I thought that was absolutely extraordinary. And I think I, I think that's the fundamental point that the kind of liberals who, who think if, if Bernie just would have pivoted to um, the kind of uh, highly, you know, highly partisan Democratic middle class uh, audience uh, that, that he could have won was, okay, let, let's say Bernie did that. Right. And let's say it worked and he got elected. Right. Well, now he has to try and pass these policies. And what's going to happen when he tries to pass them? Well, how did corporate America react when Barack Obama tried to pass a public option? Right. Something that is so much less threatening to the entire corporate infrastructure of the United States than something like a Green New Deal with full employment or Medicare for all. Right. Something like the public option brought enough opposition that they, you know, they chiseled off people from the Democratic Party. They made it impossible. And, and Obama ultimately caved probably too easily. But the amount of opposition that something that small 
uh, initiated from the Democratic Party gives you a hint at the kind of firestorm they would throw up against something like Medicare for All. And this, you know, this isn't hypothetical. Look at what happened in like the late 1970s when Jimmy Carter comes into office with uh, a very ambitious reform agenda, a full employment bill, um, all kinds of uh, consumer protection bill, labor law reform. Um, Carter came into office with a very ambitious agenda that he wanted to pass when he came in. And yet by 1978, every one of those uh, proposals had been totally defeated or defanged because there, there was no movement to make corporate America think, okay, this, if we don't give them this, they're going to try and take a whole lot more from us, right? That's that's how reforms happen, fundamentally, is when the working class kicks up enough of a fuss that the ruling class says, we want social peace and we're willing to pay for it, right? That's what reforms are. Reforms are the ruling class paying for social peace. Um, if you can't credibly threaten to make them have to pay for it, they have no incentive to give it. Right. And so there's no reason to think that if Bernie had come to office without a mobilized working class behind him, his agenda wouldn't meet the same fate as far less ambitious agendas by um, reform minded Democrats in previous periods. Right. And he was totally explicit about that throughout the campaign. I mean, that was what Not Me Us was all about, was he spoke um very clearly about what would happen if he was in the White House and, you know, um, the powers that be are not going to roll over, that they have, you know, all of the um, institutional power at their backs and all of the money and et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't just a campaign slogan. It's, it's his actual mode of operation. And you can, um, and you can see that throughout his political career. And, you know, there's the great stories about um, when he first became mayor in Burlington and getting stonewalled completely left and right. Um, and he had to like literally go to the people and try to like build up, um, uh, you know, mobilize people and um, have, you know, a, a, a separate uh, volunteer run um, city hall, basically. Um, you know, that that is ultimately why his campaign was so exciting was that it wasn't just about that, you know, he could run a better campaign, he could become um, um, a president and try to, uh, issue some important executive orders, which I think would be incredible. I mean, all of that in of itself would be incredible, but that there was the possibility here that he was holding out that his campaign is a mobilizing tool, which I think it still needs to be, even though it's, it's, it's done, um, to actually organize on the ground for these things. Um, and certainly like after his campaign in 2016, I mean, we saw, uh, the outcome of that. We saw, um, you know, the teacher strike wave, which was not solely about Bernie's campaign, but certainly um, was, um, drew a lot of confidence and a lot of um, actual networks and organizational capacity out of that. Um, I think that that's really the, the eyes on the prize and what we need to, um, to be looking towards. Bernie said very explicitly at the beginning of his campaign that his strategy was going to be about appealing to disaffected voters, inspiring them with a bold agenda, the likes of which we have never really saw before him, uh, certainly not, like not in several decades on the presidential level. And obviously that strategy did fail 
in that Bernie was unable to get out the kind of disaffected voters that he said he wanted to, which he has admitted, uh, you know, multiple times throughout the campaign itself and then afterwards. Um, but I think that some people probably see that that strategy failed and say, you know, therefore it was wrong to try to do that. Um, Chris Maizano wrote a piece for us when the uh, campaign was still going that talked about how one of Bernie's fundamental tasks and one of the fundamental tasks of the left after Bernie's campaign uh, is not just to try to win elections, you know, get the most number of raw votes, but to actually rebuild people's belief in and confidence in the ability of the political system to actually make changes in their lives. Like people's expectations have been so beaten down that they don't see many people don't see the point in participating in politics at all i mean i certainly felt this when i was knocking on doors in states like iowa and i would talk to people who once i would communicate the uh what, what bernie's agenda was it wasn't that they disagreed with the agenda it was like they didn't believe what i was talking about could ever actually come to fruition and so that is still a very fundamental task. And that, I mean, in some ways, that's the hardest task for the left going forward because we had Bernie on the national level making most of the arguments that we would have liked to see him make. And yet people did not, were not inspired in sufficient numbers to uh, actually get him uh, elected uh, or to you know win the nomination and so uh, if Bernie couldn't do it on that national level it's it's pretty daunting to think about how the rest of us are going to be able to do that but on the other hand we're in a better position to try to do it than uh, than I think in any of our lifetimes uh, Paul do you have any thoughts on that yeah yeah I mean I, I definitely think that the campaign and its failure revealed some really daunting obstacles that I've found it really sobering to think about in, in considering how left advance can happen over, over the next decade or so. Um, and, and yeah, I, I really agree that um, we have to, our starting point has to be how we are in a so much better position today than we were five years ago. You know, to, to be a leftist today is to be part of a much, much bigger endeavor than it was five years ago. And and, and Bernie Sanders is, is simply the main reason for that. I think there's no escaping it. Um, not the only, but the main. Um, and yet, uh, the, the task that we confront is so enormous that, uh, you know, getting into a better position in some way has just put us in a better position to see exactly what we have to do. Right. And, and I think, um, you know, the, the, the fundamental problem, I think that, that the campaign revealed, um, is the, there, there's kind of two horns of a dilemma. And I think you just spoke about one really well, which is the, the disaffection with the political system, um, among the working class in particular. Um, 
And, you know, there, there's tons of research on uh, the relationship between political inequality and economic inequality and between political non-participation and economic inequality. Um, and that, that rising inequality really damages political participation. Um, austerity damages people's faith in what the government can do. And unfortunately, you know, it looks like we're we're about to see that in, in real time over the next uh, years as, as this recession really hits. Um and so on the one hand, you have this tremendous disaffection and disbelief that anything can be accomplished. On the other hand, you have a large portion of the Democratic electorate who are described accurately by uh, the, the liberals um, who say that, you know, the way to win is just Democratic partisan identity. There are lots and lots of Democratic primary voters who think the Democratic Party is doing, you know, pretty well uh, and is, is on the right track and that nothing fundamental needs to change. Um, and I think in between those two, there's a group of people who, who can be won over, but whose overwhelming uh, agenda in this election was to beat Donald Trump. And when the entire party and its associated media base was telling them that Joe Biden is the way to do that, that's who they went with, right? Uh, effectively, I, I think we were not able to provide that crowd with a rational basis on which to take our word for it that Bernie was the better choice. And I don't think Bernie standing on the debate stage and saying Joe Biden is unelectable would have convinced them, right? I don't think that would have been the thing that brought them over. Fundamentally... Unless there are institutions that matter to people's lives that are, are giving them a signal about this, that are that are that they can look to and trust, we should expect people to rely on on the already existing institutions of the Democratic Party. Um, and so I think that the, the task ahead of us in terms of building a left that is relevant enough to millions of people's lives that they look to us for advice on a question like who is most electable is, is the task we have. And that's a huge task that includes rebuilding the union movement, rebuilding infrastructures of, of, of protest and of mobilization, uh, building a left media, all of those things. And, and I think it means also running more campaigns. Like one, one, I think, positive that we can see in terms of the way forward is we saw what a huge difference it made when AOC endorsed Bernie Sanders, right? Mm -hmm. And that shows us that like when, when you can build political power in, in in one place, it can help you build it in other places as well, right? AOC's win in New York helped Bernie build across the country. And I think we have to, we have to keep that in mind in terms of like what kind of political fights can we wage that can help, uh, help, show people that the left is a force that can set a political lead that's worth looking to, right? Um, because that is ultimately what we need to be able to build in order to win something like a, a national uh, Democratic presidential primary. There's kind of, uh, I don't know, a, a tautology here or something in, in that, like, the, the left in this country has been reborn because of the Bernie campaign. The socialist movement in this country has been reborn. Uh, because of his two campaigns. Uh, but then in 2020, uh, we, we we saw everything that you just said, Paul, that uh, despite the fact that the left has been sort of reborn, uh, we aren't 
in the place yet where people like look to us as a credible alternative against the right wing horrors that we're facing. Uh, they, they they still think that you know walking corpse Joe Biden is a safer <laughs> bet uh, than than with us because we haven't built up our built up our institution yet. And so the uh, in in some ways it's like the worst thing that could possibly happen is for us to look at that situation and and you know retreat from continuing to build the left because like we we've got a toehold now and we got on a national stage and people weren't buying what we were selling in large enough yet numbers yet to win you know the presidential nomination for example but we are on the right path i mean if we keep doing more of what we have done over the past uh, 5 years uh, we will be in the a position, hopefully, in the future, so that you know, however many years from now, uh, people, you know, the average voter will look at whoever the next Bernie Sanders is and actually think that he has a uh, a credible uh, shot and you know, a, cred- a credible movement behind him um, that goes all the way down, you know, to the grassroots level that will be able uh, to. D- Credibly defeat and somebody you know a movement that they could depend on to fight against you know whatever President Ivanka Trump or whoever it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean the left the left has been reborn, which is incredibly incredibly exciting. Um, and I agree with what you know. I can't remember which of you said it, but um, I know for me, I've been on the left for for a while, and it's never been as exciting mm-hmm. as it is right now to be to be on the left and to actually be, um, you know, doing things that, that have a great impact and that you can see moving forward. Uh, but you have to have some perspective about the left being reborn, but is, you know, this is, this has been a five-year process, right? Um, and the, where we've come from and how weak, um, the left has been, um, can't be underestimated. So we've come a long way and it's actually, phenomenal that the Bernie campaign got this far. I mean, if you think back a couple decades ago, people like Michael Dukakis and Mondale, and, you know, it was a dirty word to be called liberal. Um, And now you can be on a national, uh, national platform calling yourself a socialist, defending democratic socialism, not backing down from that, then going, you know, on the offensive with it, defining what it is, um, and and be a front runner and come you know pretty damn close to winning the presidency, which is really un you know I I would not have believed that if you had told me that um, six years ago. I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't have really believed you five years ago. <laughs> um, so anyway, I I just think we have to have some perspective about how far we've come. Um, you know, when we're assessing that, okay, well, we didn't, we didn't win, but um, we achieved something that most people thought was not achievable. Well, and you guys are good people to have on the podcast to talk about this because you, both of you have been involved in the socialist movement for a very long time and you have seen the dark days of uh, the socialist movement. And obviously people who are even older than us have seen even darker days. You know, they were, they managed to <laughs> there continue. There are people older than us. <laughs> <laughs> people older than us who have been, you know, socialists who are lo- longer than we've been um, alive. And, you know, they, they, they were carrying the flame of, uh, of class struggle and of socialism through those years when it was a dirty word to be called uh, a liberal in the, you know, the 80s and, and 90s. And so, 
I, f- I feel some responsibility to those people to uh, to you know not let the incredible opportunity that has been presented to us through the Bernie campaign slip through our fingers. Like we got to do it for those people who uh, kept the torch burning in some really uh, some really dark times. But you all talk. I mean, you you emphasize at the end of your piece uh, what we've been getting into here, which is that like the the just the basic truth is that it was the political establishment, the Democratic Party establishment, the mainstream media uh, that was too strong uh, for us to be able to defeat. Uh, and, you know, we shouldn't necessarily be surprised at that um, for all the reasons you just said. On the other hand, like we did fail to build uh, the kind of movement that could overcome it. So um, can you just talk uh, a bit more uh, about the, you know, what, what needs to be done next and what kind of institutions need to be built up and where the work needs to be focused on in order to not uh, suffer such a defeat the next time? One of the things that um, the reasons that the Democratic Party establishment is as strong as it is um, has a lot to do with institutions. And, and, and we talked about that in the article, and we should talk more about that, but that they have managed to um, really convince us for over the course of decades that, you know, something like Medicare for all was a total fringe utopia uh, position. Um, The the, the idea that the public option is this like, you know, something that we should be, uh, we should be really happy and grateful for. Um, And of course, the Obamacare in general um, is, is the greatest advance that we've had in this country for, on, you know, for liberal planks or whatever. And it's a complete disaster um, and has made healthcare arguably more unaffordable for, for many people. Uh, from, um, so, that, so I think that's part of it is the like lowering of expectations. And obviously Bernie's campaign has done a lot um, um, to counter that, but it's a long slog and that doesn't mean that we then give it up especially at this moment um, where I think things are very unpredictable and we don't know what things will be like even a few months time from now. Um, So for us to like retreat right now would be the absolute worst that we could do. Um, But then, yeah, you know, the the question of institutions, the question of um, how do we organize uh, more union power? How do we knit together the network of uh, the unions that supported that supported Bernie and and knit them together with um, organizations, um, with media. I mean the you know things like um, the Sunshine Movement. You know all of these kind of forces that have st- started to that came together um, around this electoral um, moment. Uh, where how how do we um, deepen? Uh, deepen that and, and and forge those networks. Yeah, and you guys say in the piece something that very few people have talked about in the in the sort of postmortems here about the need to build up institutions that go beyond you know like getting more subscribers to Jacobin, more listeners to our podcast, more members in the DSA or something. Like we also need to. Uh, deepen relationships with like unions, for example, that uh, broke with the Democratic Party establishment and endorsed Bernie and, you know, put real resources behind Bernie. Um, Those institutions are uh, in many ways more powerful than us. They have uh, relationships with uh, workers that uh, we don't have uh, they there's you know we can't we can't substitute for a, 
a strong labor movement, a, a class struggle focused labor movement. Um, and so we'll, we'll need to uh, build more of those kind of class struggle unions. We'll need to deepen the re relationships between the left and those unions. Um, that that's an absolutely essential part for uh, part of being able to overcome what we came up against and lost uh, in, in you know in comp in contest with uh, during this primary. Uh, there's no substitute for a strong labor movement and a labor movement that uh, is has you know a, a, a left leftward you know class struggle focused uh, labor movement. Uh, so that has to be a really crucial task going forward if we're going to overcome the structural barriers that we came up against and lost to in this election. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, we can't do it with a labor movement uh, with union density at 10 percent either. Right. Um, in order to, to rebuild these institutions, we're not just going to need to rebuild fighting unions. We're going to need to rebuild unions, period, so that unions are a much bigger force in American politics. And, you know, I, I suspect those struggles are, are already beginning in, the, in this latest recession. There's going to be huge public worker struggles over austerity. There's going to be all kinds of fights about workers being forced to pay for the crisis. And um, I think because of Sanders's campaign, we are in a position to build on people's outrage and expectations for better than all of that, rather than they're um, just kind of expecting the worst, uh, which is, I think, um, something uh, somewhat what happened in, in 2008. Um, so I think... Um, that that work of of rebuilding institutions and everything is already upon us um and and we just have to get to it hadas you want to add anything um not really i think that 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 sums it up well and i i guess the only thing i i will say is that um to reiterate that i think we you know we're heading into the deepest both political and economic crisis that any of us have known in our in our lives lifetimes um that it's the it's combined you know not just like a economic crash and probably prolonged um recession if not depression really but you know people are seeing the po the political conclusions of capitalism um prioritizing the economy over people's lives, um, the, the lack of testing, the austerity measures and how that impacted the hospitals, the bidding wars for masks and ventilators. I mean, just so much insanity um, that there's a, a very deep um, political and economic crisis um, that is, is, is really the moment that we need to be, um, to be doing this work. Well, uh, I, you know, I can't promise that when, if, if people read your uh, Bernie campaign postmortem that they will, you know, their spirits will be completely uh, lifted and they will uh, feel, you know, they'll sense that there's nothing but rainbows and sunshine on the uh, horizon. But it is a... Uh, you do cite, uh, you know, you, you lay out what we exactly what we should be, uh, you know, uh, sad about and where our uh, sources of optimism should be. And as well as like the what the actual path forward is uh, to make sure that next time we 
you know, can take a crack at uh, the position of literally the most powerful person in the entire world, uh, maybe we could actually uh, win. And uh, so I would recommend people check out your article, Bernie's campaign strategy wasn't the problem uh, in Jacobin from earlier this week. Uh, Paul Heidemann and Hadas thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Micah.